Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 127. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. So as you know, on this podcast, there's been a lot of talk about mindfulness, self-compassion, neuroscience, yoga, and this episode is not going to be much of a departure from that. Today, I'm talking with Lynn Frazier. Lynn Frazier is a mindfulness yoga and meditation teacher in Nova Scotia in Canada, and she is using a practice that is both rooted in ancient wisdom and current neuroscience. Lynn uses what she calls a mindfulness-based meditative inquiry in her work with people who've experienced trauma. She's not a therapist, and she's not practicing therapy, but her work is in helping people heal. I am really inspired by Lynn's way of explaining neuroscience, trauma, and how she uses mindfulness and this meditative inquiry to help her clients. So I think you're going to find this really interesting. I certainly did. Let's go ahead and get started with my interview with Lynn Frazier. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today is a very interesting conversation. I am talking with Lynn Frazier, who is a mindfulness and yoga and meditation teacher who uses Living Inquiry, which is a mindfulness-based meditative inquiry process with people who've experienced trauma. And I am fascinated to learn more about this. So Lynn, thank you so much for being on Therapy Chat today. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I'm really happy too. You're all the way in Canada and Nova Scotia. Yes. <laughs> so Lynn, can we just start off with you telling our audience 
a bit about yourself and your work? Sure. So the Living Inquiries, as you mentioned, is a mindfulness-based meditative inquiry. And what we do is we break down our experience into thoughts, which are words and pictures, and sensation in our body, our energy or feelings that are in our body. And when we're looking at any kind of experience, whether we have, you know, a racing mind, if we've got some kind of anxiety, whatever it is, it always breaks down into thoughts and sensations. And with words, all we can do with words is hear them, hear the sounds, our brain makes sense of them. With pictures, we can see them. And with feelings or sensations, we feel them. So we work with them on a very simple level. There's three elements, words, pictures, and sensations. And there's three questions that we might ask in the inquiry. So one is, is that me? So we're looking at our, our, at our identification. And a lot of the work when we're dealing with trauma is identification of some kind of a core deficiency belief. So we might have experiences in our life of being feeling unloved, being unlovable, and we'll create a belief out of that. It's the way our brain and our system works. So if we have the experience many times of feeling unsafe, unworthy, not smart enough, not seen, not loved, then we'll form a belief about that as, as a identity. So one of the inquiries is to look at how do I know that I'm unlovable? Well, I have a bunch of evidence and the evidence is the words and the pictures and the sensations in our body. Then another question that we look at is the compulsion inquiry. And we look at how do I know that I want to have that thing to eat, that I want to drink, that I want to do drugs, that I want to, what, where's the compulsion? Is it in the picture? Is it in the, the words? Is it in my body? Is it in this energy in the body? And for me, when I would have this kind of a pulsing energy in my throat, that would signal that it was time for me to eat something, uh, something sweet and comforting, usually like ice cream or something. So we really work with the energy and the sensations in our body and what is associated with those. And in the work with trauma, a lot of the work that we do is with the anxiety inquiry. So we're looking at where is the threat. And what's really interesting is that it always comes back to what's happening in our body. And we have associated memories and thoughts with, with whatever it is that's in our body. So one way I would talk about it is that trauma is stored in the tissues of our body. And when we're doing this mindfulness inquiry, we're looking to see and really get to know what's going on in our body. What's the energy feel like and what are the associated words that come along with that? Mm. So you explained to me when we were talking before we started recording about that this is a type of meditative inquiry that's similar to Buddhist inquiry. Yes, it's a form of meditative inquiry, and Buddhism has an inquiry like that. Um, meditation does as well, uh, yoga meditation. And the inquiry that we, was, that we started with, with the Buddhist inquiry, Scott Killaby developed the living inquiries, and he was really looking at the unfindable inquiry. Can I find a self? And when we feel like, you know, this is me, I'm here in this body, and I'm a woman, and I'm this, and I'm that, we have all these identities then how, how do we know 
that that's true. Well, well, we have thoughts about it and we have feelings in the body. We have sensations in the body. So it started out with this basic unfindable, can I find a self? And then as, you know, as he and this group of senior facilitators he was working with, as we were working with people and we're working on our own identities, the other two developed, the compulsion inquiry and the anxiety inquiry developed through the work that we were doing. So those two inquiries aren't, I don't actually know if there's any inquiries like that in Buddhism or in yoga meditation. Those were developed more from this group of people that have been working with people and with ourselves. Fascinating. I mean, you're bringing up these questions like, you know, really, what is the self? What are my core beliefs? I think those questions are things that many of us never even consider, even Mm -hmm. though it can be such a part of how we work with clients or how anyone who is in a process of trying to heal may, it's sort of part of the process that's happening, but we may not always reflect on that process. Mm-hmm. And we're all really evidence-based systems. And, you know, we talk a lot about that with scientific research, that we need to be evidence-based. We need evidence-based therapies. And that's, that's legitimate. And as we're going through life, though, what happens, especially as children, we have very limited brain development as children. And if we're not in a, an environment where we feel connected and seen and safe, then we have these experiences in our primitive brain and our nervous system of fear. And we have, you know, we, we might have something that people would think of as trauma, uh, you know, some kind of abuse or neglect or You know, somebody dies in the family, there's divorce, there's violence, there's all of those kinds of things that we would think of as trauma. But one of the things I was really interested to see in the ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences research, is that neglect has an equal impact on a child. And the reason for that partly is because we all have this need to be part of a family, a community, a tribe in the old days would have been called a tribe. And, and we need that in order to survive. So if we're not connected in that way, then we, we feel that as a survival level threat. And then our nervous system develops like that. And it's been really interesting just in the last 20 years of the research around um, neurosciences being the brain develops in response to our experiences. And if our experience has been that we're not safe, that we're not seen, then we don't, don't develop neural pathways for trust and for connection and disconnection is the effect of, of neglect and of abuse. It's the, it's the core of why we feel we don't belong, why we feel we're not worthy and we're not lovable. And so really looking at, at the systems and how they work, that it's not our fault that we've developed this, this feeling of not being worthy. It's just how our system works. We have these experiences and then our primitive brain goes, which has a really strong negative negativity bias, it's always looking for danger, then it's always trying to protect us from that. And so it, it feels like kind of a mess because there's all this going on, there's all these intrusive thoughts, there's the evidence gathering. So if we feel like we're not worthy or we're not smart, then everything we're doing is looking for evidence of that. And we get into this situation where our minds might be not very healthy. We've got a lot of catastrophic thinking. We've got a lot of really intrusive thoughts. We really don't have any peace from the thoughts in our mind. 
And we're not really able to go into our body and feel what's going on on our body because it feels kind of scary. And that was the situation for me 20 years ago, and it's not anymore. So these methods between meditation, breathing, and calming my nervous system through yoga and meditation, and then through these inquiries, I've really healed that big mess that used to be driving a lot of my suffering. Wow. Thank you for that clear explanation about what is not always seemingly so simple, which is, you know, the neuroscience of trauma. It's to me, it's an endlessly fascinating subject. And I'm so glad that you're talking about it and teaching about it and using it to, to help people. You know, I'm just thinking about how if you were doing mindfulness and meditation teaching without the trauma part, then that there's so much that could potentially be missed. And I've been talking with some other meditation teachers and people who are really involved with mindfulness practices too, about how sometimes people can kind of fall apart when they're doing meditation practice as they get more into their body and then their trauma can get triggered and they get caught by surprise and don't really know where to go with it. I think it's really beautiful how the way you're doing this work with people, both both are covered. Yeah. And, you know, safety is always at the foundation of healing. And if, you know, I really love it that there's so much trauma-informed yoga now where we're getting into the body and, and really starting to relax our nervous system. My shoulders used to be like cement blocks. I'd turn my head and I couldn't move for a week because I had so much tension stored in my body. And I was kind of in a state of freeze. And a lot of us are. And we don't even realize that that's what's happening because that's the way it's always been. Our body just really stores the, and we brace ourselves against being hurt. And then all of that gets stored in our body and it comes out as stress and it comes out as some people go into the fight mechanism and they get kind of sharp with other people or there might even be violence. Other people go into more of a freeze and we numb out and we watch Netflix for hours and eat ice cream and do all of those things. And then, of course, there's far more serious addictions as well in terms of alcohol and other drugs that, that have an immediate life threat to them. But it's also very, very serious when we go through our lives not really connecting within, not really happy because we're really driven by this fear of what's in the body and the energy that's in the body because it's associated with these feelings of being powerless or feelings of being hurt or not seen or neglected when we were children. And the, the good news about that is that we can connect now. We're not any longer powerless. We're not any longer children. We have a brain that we can work on our brain development. We can work with breathing and the nervous system. All of these are workable. And so that even if we've had a serious trauma history, we can understand it and we can work with it and heal it. Yes. Thankfully, there is neuroplasticity. Yeah. Just because our brains have been impacted and our identities have developed the way you described in childhood doesn't mean that we can't begin to connect in a different way mm -hmm. and, and have healthy, nourishing, nurturing relationships with ourselves and others. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, in the research around shame, what they what they say is that shame is meant to correct correct a behavior. It's not meant to be you should be ashamed of yourself. It's meant to say this behavior needs to stop. But it's supposed to be within the context of connection. So connecting, being connected with the person who's correcting our behavior, which would normally be your parent or caregiver. That's really different from someone who's disconnected, who doesn't feel like they have any value, who doesn't feel like their parents really love them or care about them. And then they're being shamed for who they are, not just behavior. It's very traumatizing for a child, especially. And a lot of the people that I work with have so much shame that that's part of Shame is meant to be an intense experience because it's meant to correct a behavior that could get us kicked out of the family. But the way that shaming works in the toxic way that shaming works so much in our culture, it's devastating and we'll do almost everything to avoid feeling that. And that's at the root of a lot of uh, a lot of the resistance or avoidance. So one of the practices that we do is a welcoming practice where we really work with the energy and and the three phrases we might use are thank you for arising or thank you for being here. And so we're, we're kind of tuning into the energy in our body and thanking it for being here. I love you and you're welcome to stay. And most people don't really mean it. It's hard to get to that point where where we're not at war with the energy in our body and where we can actually really tune in and sense that it's okay for us to be with that energy and that energy is actually not here to hurt us it's here usually to warn us to protect us or to tell us something or maybe because we need some kind of reassurance we need our own attention and that's where the mindfulness comes in as we pay attention to ourselves yes i can relate to that so much that once you start to get connected to what you're feeling in your body if you've been disconnected from that And then you start to notice these uncomfortable feelings and sensations in the body. And then you think, and I'll speak for myself, it's hard not to think, well, this feels unpleasant. So I'm not supposed to be feeling this way. What's wrong? Why am I feeling this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead of that all ways of being and feeling are okay. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to like, believe that. (laughs) (laughs) It is. And part of that is because of the thoughts that are associated. When we, when we're overwhelmed by something as children, especially, we, we find a way to disappear. So we might, you know, daydream or fantasize, dissociate somehow. Oftentimes we'll try and work it out in our head because it's too scary to feel it in our body. And then we develop this habit of just never really opening to what's going on in our body and when we when we go in one of the things that we might do in in a guided session is to notice where exactly is the energy what exactly does it feel like is it hot or is it cold is it moving is it still Uh, what is the location and you know if, if it's in our heart area our chest or something can you feel it up into your throat does it go down into your stomach? Might only go down partway. And then we notice the space all around the energy and we get kind of clinical about it. We're really working with the objective witness of the, or the observer where we go, okay, here's this energy. Here's what it feels like. These are the qualities of it so that we're not getting kind of sucked into the 
the train of thought that will often come with it. And then from the perspective of mindfulness, of watching and observing, we can go, okay, I can see that these thoughts are what's associated with this because these are the thoughts that are coming up for me to look at. It's this memory of some some incident that happened when I was three years old or 10 years old. And oftentimes people say, I haven't thought about that since it happened. I had no idea that that was what was associated with this energy. And as we really have a look and, and see, is this energy here to hurt me? No, it's not. And energy is not random either. It's here because there's something stored in our body that is ready to come up and be seen now. And then with the right support and then to, you know, the right safety, then we're able to be present with it. And then that just opens up into this beautiful ability to be present with our own experience. Wow. This is so beautiful. I love it. It's really cool. <laughs> I, you know, I, when I was teaching meditation, I would, I would, you know, really talk about the mind and how the mind works and, you know, the storehouse of memories and associations. And I would also talk a little bit about the body, but I didn't really at that time know how trauma was stored in the body and how it was, how it is possible to be a, have a mindfulness practice of being present with that and that it's okay to do that. And then you know, as the fear and the shame and all of these traumatic experiences are released from the energy, the energy itself starts to release as well. And, you know, I used to have such a pain in between my shoulder blades that I had three different times I had x-rays on it. And it, they would come back because I thought my spine was disintegrating or something. There's so much pain. And one time I just had a big breakthrough with that and the pain disappeared and it's never come back. But what happened after that pain disappeared was that then I, I was able to really notice what the energy was going on the feelings in my heart center. And then I was able to sit with the direct. That was where the associations and memories were coming up. And I could sit with that and look and see what was going on there. And then as they started to release, then there's not that much going on in there anymore. It's pretty quiet. <laughs> what a relief. Yeah. And, you know, it, it resonates so much about the pain that you had, that you were getting x-rays. You know, I, I, if any of my clients listen to this, I know that they will relate that there are so many times where there is some physical symptom that is a very real symptom. Mm -hmm. It is not made up. It's not in their head. It's a real symptom. And they're trying to find out, do I have this? Do I have that? What is this? Cancer, mm -hmm. MS, lupus? you know, what's happening here. And with more body awareness and trauma therapy, the the pain will be not there anymore, you know? Yeah, it's really surprising. And, you know, when we look at that, I have such respect for our bodies yeah. that they keep functioning with all of the tension and the everything that gets kind of locked down in our bodies. And we're so much more likely to try and figure things out in our head because it just doesn't feel safe to go down into our body and feel that. But once we figure that out, once we have the direct experience that we're going to be okay, then that's it, we reach this tipping point where we become really interested in what's going on in our body because we, we have the experience then that it's starting to release and we're, we're having a lot more calm, our nervous system starts to really heal. 
know, I do a lot of work with people on breathing and calming our nervous system as well, because we really need to come into the body and experience what's happening in our body in a very safe way. And there are a lot of great ways to breathe and to support our nervous system that are really helpful. Yeah, I don't know anything that works better to get someone regulated for someone to get themselves regulated than breathing. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes people are in a state of freeze such that even to breathe feels too threatening. And then there are other ways that, you know, we can work with that until until the breath opens up. But for anyone who can work with the breath or, you know, saying a sound or one of the interesting things I, I think is fascinating about medical science now is that it's really looking at how does the body and the nervous system and the brain function? And there's such good tools now that we can actually see it. And one of the things that I discovered a few years ago was some research around it takes six seconds of exhaling for the relaxation response to kick in. It's to do with the polyvagal system. So that's pretty easy to do. Mm -hmm. You know, we can just breathe out for six seconds and count that. We could breathe out and talk in longer sentences. So if you're at a party, for instance, and you're feeling anxious, like I'm doing right now, I think I've been talking for probably 10 or 12 seconds without breathing. <laughs> right? Then take a deep breath and then do it again. So there's all of these ways. But if we don't know that, then then we're not able to use it. But there's some really simple really great tools. Box breathing is another one that Dr. Andrew Weil has popularized. And I have, have people do where they, you know, you hold your breath for four seconds, exhale for four seconds, inhale, for, you know, you have that four seconds on the exhale, hold, inhale, hold. And most people can do that for two or three seconds. And it kind of breaks the panic. It breaks whatever's happening in the nervous system so that we can come back to the moment and recognize that, you know, I can, I can feel my feet on the floor, I can you know, rub my hands together. I can break through a freeze or, or a beginning of panic in the body with some really kind of simple things. And then I can also do some breathing and other things that will help to strengthen the resilience in my nervous system. And there's all kinds of great you know, gratitude practices and all kinds of really, really cool tools now that we can use for that. Yeah, it's a really good time. There are a lot of beautiful things that are super effective and basically, mostly free, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. gratitude practice doesn't cost anything. It's exactly. just a matter of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a, a, a lot of, a lot of practices, guided practices on my YouTube channel, but I also do a free daily online practice every morning at 8am Eastern. And in that we do breathing, relaxation, some inquiry. We do all kinds of things to support the nervous system and once people learn the tools, then they've got them. And so I would really encourage everybody to, to learn some breathing tools, learn some relaxation. It's really helpful. So where do people get this 8 a.m. Eastern time free practice that you have? Do you do it on YouTube? It's actually on Zoom, which is similar to Skype. Mm -hmm. And the, the link for that is on my website. It's lynnfraserstillpoint.com. And the Zoom link is right on there. And uh, there's people from all over North America, Europe, and it's a small group. There's usually around 20 people and we have a great time. So do people sign up for a certain time commitment or they just sign up daily or how does that work? They can just come and go as they like. I've been doing it every day since December 1st, 2015. So over two years. 
and it's really evolved. I love doing it. It's it's wonderful for my own practice too. I have this great half hour practice every day. Um, but yeah, people can come and go. Lots of people come really regularly. And then, you know, some people come in and out when they can. So it's, you know, two o'clock in Amsterdam. So some of the people over there have their lunch at that time. So they come when they can. And it's just, uh, it's up, up to people. Yeah, you're free to come and go as you like. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. You have so many amazing resources on your website, including your explanatory videos about trauma, which are really, really helpful. At least the the part I looked at, um, I thought it was really helpful for, you know, people can, therapists can often understand the nuts and bolts about trauma and explain to clients the nuts and bolts about trauma, but to get it in a way that's more like, a lived experience is harder. And, you know, we get, we stay in that intellectual cognitive part of our brains instead of the felt sense. Mm-hmm. But the, mm-hmm. the feeling I got from your videos was it was more from that lived experience and it felt very true and digestible to me when I was watching I shared it with some, my two associates who work with me for them to benefit from and also to share maybe with clients. Well, thank you. And you know, about five years ago, I started really looking into developmental trauma through Dr. Gabor Mate, primarily, and then other people as well. And, and I've worked through it with myself. Um, I didn't know anything about developmental trauma until then. And once I started to learn about it, I really could see what had happened when I was a child, I was really disconnected emotionally. And as a teenager, I had a series of events that were very traumatic starting at 12. And I had a lot of shaming and shunning that was happening to me and bullying during my teen years. And I never even really thought about that as trauma until until recently when I started looking at it and realizing just how disconnected I was from everybody else. I was it was very clear to me that I couldn't reach out to my parents for help. and when I did, it was true. I was right in my assessment of that. And the only thing that I really had that was helpful was drugs and alcohol when I could get them, which wasn't that often, but also food. So ice cream in particular, there was always ice cream in the freezer and I could always just kind of comfort myself through that. And I didn't realize that the impact of feeling so isolated and so disconnected until much later. And then I came out as a lesbian when I was in my mid-20s. And then, of course, there's that social shunning and the isolation of that as well. 
And as I work through it in the last five years, just really connecting with myself, that's what's been, been really healing. And it's been so helpful for me to understand that it wasn't that I was doing something wrong. That's not why I felt the way I did. It's because that's how our system is. We need to be connected in order to have fulfilling, satisfying lives. And if we don't trust anyone, because that's been our experience, then it's very difficult for that to happen. Mm. Well, it, it comes through that you've understand this at a deep level and you're really gifted at being able to explain it at a deep level. And I'm grateful for everything you're doing. And I want to ask you too, didn't you tell me you have a book? Yes, I do. It's called Friends with Your Mind, How to Stop Torturing Yourself with Your Thoughts. And it's a small, easily digestible book. And it has, you know, I've, I've had pretty much everything in there I've had going on in my own mind. So it has a section on what if catastrophic thinking, it talks about anxiety, it works with, you know, it explains a bit about the living inquiries and how all of that works. So between that and you can get that on Amazon, you can get it as a print book or Kindle. Uh, between that and the videos that I have on my YouTube channel and the resources on my website, I think it's really possible for people to understand the basics of our system, how it works. I have a one way understanding how thought works. Because it seems like it's a real mystery. We just have all of these thoughts in our mind. We're up at three in the morning and there's all this anxiety pouring through our mind or we might feel that in our body. And there's so many things that happen to us, our experiences that trigger this. And then we're kind of helpless in a way. And so it's, it's been very helpful for me and for the people that I work with just to understand the basics of, you know, this is what stress is. This is what, you know, a, a, a normal response to stress is. We tend to get these kinds of patterns going on in the mind. And then how can we work with that? And one of the things about this is a meditation, spiritual practice is that I know through meditation and through my experience that there's nothing wrong with me at my core. And, and that trust that I have in that is part of what helps other people to to touch into that. That's what makes this a mindfulness practice is a bit different than therapy because in a mindfulness practice, we're, we're really working with our own basic goodness and, and touching into that and having access to that. And we don't really have access to that when our mind is like all the time <laughs> and we can't get into our body. So these practices, as we peel that away, then we have access to the stillness that everybody has at our core. Wow. That's a beautiful way to end our conversation talking about the basic goodness that we all have within, no matter what we may believe about ourselves, it doesn't change that we're all good at the core. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we can all discover that for ourselves. Yeah. And I love the fact that you said that, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. It's not just that you think, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because it can yeah. be and really know, hard to believe that sometimes. Yeah. And I know that is true for everybody. Yeah. I know that too. I know it's true for everybody. I'm not always certain about myself, but if it's true for everyone, then it must be true <laughs> for me. <laughs> you know, it is the hardest thing to apply kindness and compassion to ourselves. And what I find is as we get more confidence in going inside and really experiencing and welcoming what's happening inside, that is when the kindness and the compassion start to really flower. 
And when we get to experience that, there's a real freedom and a peacefulness in that that we don't have if, if we haven't done this work. Wow. Beautiful. Lynn, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Lynn Frazier. I'm just so inspired by the work she's doing and the way she explains it. It's very relatable. I know as a trauma therapist, I'm constantly explaining trauma to people. You know, I do a ton of psychoeducation about trauma in my practice, and it's always wonderful to find useful resources that help people understand the impact of trauma. So Lynn's website is really a wealth of information. And there are tons of free videos about trauma that explain it in a way that is simple but complex. The reason why it's simple is it's just, it's just very resonant with our human experience. And I love that she ended our interview with talking about compassion. I think this is a beautiful and thought-provoking work that she's doing. And I hope you'll check out her website, which is in the show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening to Therapy Chat. I hope that you found some information that was helpful. I appreciate all of you. As always, you're welcome to visit whatever platform you listen to Therapy Chat on whether it's the Therapy Chat app, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podbean, or wherever you find it. I would love for you to leave a rating and review and subscribe so you'll receive all the latest episodes. If you're using the app, it would be wonderful if you could give the app a rating on iTunes. It would be most appreciative. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.